Well, guys, if you would take out your Bibles, we are wrapping up our series we've been doing in First Peter, and uh, this will be our last message in First Peter. We'll move on to another series next week, but I want to take some time today to kind of wrap it up and put a bow on this message. And I want to kind of start a little bit backwards. Dalton read to us the passage that we're going to cover this morning, and I want to start at the end and grab that and then work back to the beginning of this passage and kind of wrap everything up. Uh, Paul, uh, Peter is writing this letter. He's getting ready to wrap it up. And here in these last couple of verses, he says some things that I think are, are very interesting for us and very applicable to where we are and how we live our lives. And so let's begin this morning uh, in verse 12. Uh, he says, by Silvanus, uh, a faithful brother as I regard him. This Silvanus is a guy that you've heard of before in scripture. You may not have heard of him called Silvanus, but he was known, his nickname was Silas. Remember Paul and Silas? He traveled with Paul, and he worked with Paul, and now here he is with Peter, and and he is a faithful brother as Peter regards him, and he says, through him or by him, I have written briefly to you. Um, Silas was the secretary. He was the penman. He was the guy that sat down with Peter, and Peter would speak the words of life, and he would write them down to this church. And so he was like uh, what we call an amanuense who wrote down the words or a secretary. He was the guy that sat there with Peter and recorded the words that God wanted to speak to the believers. And so he's letting us know, Peter's saying, here, here, I didn't write these words with my hand, but I spoke these words, and, and, and by Silas, uh, they've been recorded and written to you. He says, I'm exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. This is the word of God, Peter says. This is the grace in which we are to stand. These truths that Peter has taught us all the way through this book are truths that, that, that shouldn't just hit our heads, but ought to hit our hearts and change our hands. It ought to be who we are and what we do. And so he says, I want you to stand firm in it, in this grace and in this truth that's recorded in this. I want you to take your stand. I want you to be anchored to the truth. And we're going to see why that's important here in just a minute. But as he wraps up the letter, he's encouraging them once again to stand firm in the truth. And then he says this, she who is at Babylon, who is he talking about? Scholars believe that when he wrote this, he was writing from Rome and he's talking about the church in Rome, but because Nero is out to get the church in Rome, he writes it a little bit disguised here. He says, she who is at Babylon, the church in Rome, is who he's talking about. That's where he's writing from. And he says, listen, the church here with me in Rome, the, 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 the one who is in Babylon, uh, who is likewise chosen. So these believers who are with me, also chosen in Christ, just as you've been chosen in Christ, he says, they send you their greetings. And so does Mark, my son. This is John Mark, okay? Remember back when Paul and Barnabas took their missionary trip and John Mark started off with them and then John Mark got homesick or got physically sick and, and, and abandoned the trip and went home and then Paul and, and Barnabas had the split over whether they should take him on the next trip or not? Well, here's John Mark once again appearing. John Mark is the, is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. And so he, he's going to be seen a lot in here. And, and, and what, what's so interesting to me and what's so neat to see is that not only does Silas work with Paul, not only does, does, does John Mark uh, end up working back again with Paul, but these guys are also working with Peter. And we see the apostles and the believers of that day that are working together. There's no solo believers. There's no lone rangers in this thing. These guys are a close-knit community, and these leaders are relying upon each other. We've, we've shown throughout this study of 1 Peter how that Peter and Paul sound so much alike. They use some of the same terminology, some of the same imagery, some of the same things to, to speak and convey the gospel because these guys were in connection with each other, in communion with each other. And so we see here that these guys are not going at it alone. They are modeling for the church 
what the church is supposed to be. They're modeling for us as believers how we are to live our lives. That, that we, you know, and, and these guys, listen, these, these apostles and these leaders of the church, these guys, they had strong personalities. They weren't weak. They were strong. In fact, sometimes they locked horns. They, they had a great passion for the gospel, and sometimes they differed on how that, that passion would lead them and what it would call them to do. But at the end of the day, they worked together and knew they were on the same team, that they were serving the same shepherd, that they were trying to accomplish the same goals. And so sometimes they struggled with each other, but the love of Christ held them together, and they had this common bond and an uncommon kind of love. And so he wraps it up by saying, listen, the church with me, Uh, Silas with me, Mark's with me, and and we send our greetings. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love, and then peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is how he's going to wrap up his letter. But before he wraps it up, he says some things that I think that we need to hear uh, loud and clear today. Peter closes out this, this letter that he's writing with some tenderness that we seldom see in Peter. Peter was a rough fisherman. He, he, he would just kind of cut to the chase or cut to the ear. <laughs> you know, Peter was one of these guys that, that he was just out there, and, and, and sometimes he spoke before he thought, and that got him into a lot of trouble. Peter's the guy that jumps out of the boat and starts to walk on the water and then panics and begins to sink. Peter is the guy that says, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And, and man, before the, the rooster crowed the next day, he had, he had denied Christ three times. Peter was not shy, but in this moment, in this passage we're looking at today, Peter gets very, very tender with the church. He's that shepherd that we studied last week that's tending to the flock and tenderly caring for them. And, and he doesn't know what tomorrow holds. He, you know, we look at it now and say, well, this is Peter's first letter. He's going to write another letter. Peter didn't know that when he was writing this letter. He's closing down the letter that he's about to send to the church. And as he does, he does so in a very tender-hearted way. He, he, he lets them see this deep love that he has for them as his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Peter uh, says some things here, and, and I want us to, to look at what he, what he says in this, in this passage in verses 6 through, uh, through 11 as he kind of wraps things up. And there's two ways that, that you can read this passage. Two different ways that, that you can kind of, two different tones that you can hear here. He's going to talk about Satan being our adversary and this, this, this lion that, that roars and, and seeks to devour. And, and you can read Peter's words, and, and I guess you could read it as Peter saying, man, I want you to be afraid. You've got this adversary, and he's out there hiding and lurking, and he's about to pounce on you. But I don't think that's the way Peter meant this. And the reason I say that I don't think it's the way Peter meant it is because of what he says in verses 6 and 7. Listen to this and see that Peter's not trying to, to scare the church. Listen to what he says. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Come under God's protection. Live close to the shepherd. We've just looked at chapter 5. I'll talk about this shepherding. And that, that, that God is our chief shepherd. And now he's saying, I want you to come under the mighty hand of God. Be humble enough to, to realize that you're not a lone ranger, that God hasn't called you to, 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 to do it by yourself. But come under God's hand, realizing that you can't do anything apart from him. And then at the right time, he says, he may exalt you. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, would he say, hey, cast all of your anxiety Upon the Lord. By the way, I want you to be scared to death because you've got an enemy. No. 
He just says to him, I want you to cast all of your anxiety on him. Come, come close to the Lord. Come near to the Lord. You, you, as sheep in God's pasture, stick close by him. And all of your anxiety will, will disappear. So he's not saying, be afraid of Satan. He's not saying, be, 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 be alarmed by, by his power. Be alarmed by, by his, his, his ferociousness. That's not at all what he's saying. But here's what I think he's saying. Come near to the Lord. Gather around him. He is your shepherd. He is your defender. He is your protector. He is your life. Sheep were helpless when they got separated from their their shepherd. Come near to him. Come under his mighty hand. I started bringing an umbrella in here this morning. It was big umbrellas. and say, it's like coming under the umbrella of the Lord. You're coming and you're drawing near to him and you're depending upon him for everything that you have. Sheep didn't get in trouble when they were around their shepherd. Sheep got in trouble when they wandered off. And we talked last week about how prone we are as sheep to wander off. Here's the tenderness of what Peter's trying to say. You're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. Together, let's gather around the shepherd. Let's hold close to him and and we can rest in peace. We can know that he is watching for the enemy, that he is defending us, that if that lion were to attack, the shepherd would give his life to defend his sheep. We talked last week about the, the, the difference in our trust and our anxiety. The less I trust in the Lord, the higher my anxiety grows. But the greater my trust, the less anxiety that I'm going to experience. It's in those moments when we hear Satan roar and we panic that we get ourselves in trouble. The, the lion that he's going to describe here that roars is trying to scare sheep to where they'll scatter and he can pick one off and devour it. But Peter warns us here. He says, listen, this is a moment for you to draw near to the Lord. The church is about to be persecuted. We, we know from history, it wasn't long after Peter wrote this letter, that, that Nero began lighting Christians on fire and, and, and burning them at the stake and wrapping them in animal skins and throwing them in the, in the midst of the lions and letting the lions attack and kill them. They may not have known that when Peter wrote this letter, but the Holy Spirit certainly did. And the Holy Spirit is preparing the church through Peter for these attacks that are about to come. And he says, listen, I want you to draw near to the Lord. I want you to cling to him. I want you to hold on to him. And here's the reason why you need to do that. Because you have an enemy. You have an enemy who wants to pick you off. You don't need to fear that enemy. But you don't need to be ignorant of him either. You don't need to sit at home and say, man, I, I, I just, I just, I'm so scared that, that if I try something for the Lord and I fail, Satan's going get, to get, get the one up on me. You don't need to be afraid of the enemy. But neither do we need to be ignorant that we have an enemy. It's those moments when we think that we don't have an enemy. It's those moments when we think that everything's great and that I can just handle it on my own, that we wander away from the shepherd and we end up in that place where we're vulnerable. And where Satan's attacks are easy on us. Again, Peter's just demonstrated at the end of this letter how he surrounded himself with brothers and sisters who were strong in Christ. And we've got to do the same thing if we're going to stand up for the attacks that are going to come our way. He says, listen, you've got a, a real choice, but your choice has a real consequence. There's two options. You can stick near the shepherd or you can wander off and be prey for the enemy. So let's look at what he says here. How do we do this? 
He says, cast all of your anxiety on him, verse 7. And then verse 8, he says, be sober-minded. Literally, in, in the original language, what that means is to be calm and collected. You're going to hear the enemy roar. Don't panic. You're going to hear Satan let off this great big thing that's going to scare people. And, and, and your, first, your first tendency is going to be just to scatter and to run. Don't do that. Stay calm, collected, sober-minded, and be watchful. Be vigilant, be, be alert, be aware that you've got an enemy. But be aware of this, that the shepherd who is over you is greater than the enemy who is against you. Greater is he who is in us than he's who in the world. So Peter calls us to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Jesus called the disciples to be watchful back in Matthew chapter 26. Remember the night he went into the garden of Gethsemane and he took the disciples with him and then he takes Peter and James and John and they go a little bit farther with Jesus. Let me read that to you and I want you to watch how Jesus calls them to be watchful there in the garden. This is in Matthew chapter 26 beginning in verse 36. It says, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. I, I think this is interesting. When Jesus was sorrowed and troubled, guess where he ran? To the Father. Sometimes when we get sorrowful and we get troubled, we run to other things. Some people will turn to alcohol or drugs. Some will turn to other types of things to, to distract them and to, 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 to comfort them. Some turn to food and, you know, I mean, we, we turn to different things when we get troubled, when we get anxious. Jesus turned to the Father. So Jesus is sorrowful. He's troubled. And he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. I want you to remain here and watch with me. What is, he, what is he saying? Stay here and watch with me. What does he mean? Stand guard with me. There is a spiritual battle that's about to take place in the garden. Jesus is going to, to do battle in the garden, and he's asking his apostles to stand with me. Do battle with me. How do we do that battle? On our knees in prayer. We do that battle for one another as we pray for one another, as we stand in the gap, as we intercede for one another. And he's saying to the disciples, I want you to stand and I want you to watch. Not just to, to stand guard and look around the garden. He's not saying, hey, the guards are going to come. Alert me when they come so we can get out of here. In fact, when the guards come, Jesus, before they come, Jesus wakes up the disciples from their sleep and says, hey, guys, get up. Those that are betraying me are coming and I'm going to my death. It's interesting, in the garden, Jesus could have slipped over the ridge of that garden, over that little mountain, and Jesus could have escaped if he'd wanted to. He already knew what was coming. He wasn't asking them to, to be on guard and, and, and watch for something physical. He's asking them to, to enter into the spiritual battle. Enter into the battle with your eyes wide open. Pray with me. Be spiritually alert. And it says, going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Here's that spiritual battle. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came back to the disciples and found them sleeping. He says to Peter, so you couldn't watch with me one hour? 
watch and pray. There's that spiritual battle, that, that spiritual, he says, you guys lack an awareness of what's taking place here. Your eternity, my eternity was hanging in the balance that moment. And Jesus says, watch with me, enter into this spiritual battle with me, pray. And the disciples fall asleep. But he says, watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. Their lack of awareness led to a lack of prayer, which led them to fall into the temptation. Jesus says, watch. Be aware of the spiritual battle that was raging at that moment. Pray, call upon God to supply what is needed so that we can have the victory in this battle. Watch and pray that you won't enter into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul also called the church uh, to watch and to pray. He was not quite so gracious as Jesus. Uh, Paul, when he speaks of this, he, he does it in a way that, that is a little more forceful, a little more in your face. And, and so if you would look with me in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 13. This is what Paul says. Be watchful. There's that same command. Stand firm in the faith. Peter's going to say the same thing. And then Paul says, act like men. Be a man. Stand, be watchful, stand firm in your faith, be a man, and be strong. That's Paul's admonition to the church. Again, so much similarity between Paul and Peter. Go back now to 1 Peter. Go back to 1 Peter. He, he says here in this passage, he says, I want you to be sober-minded, calm and collected. Don't, don't, don't be disturbed, don't be scattered, don't run. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Enter into the spiritual battle. Because you have an adversary, the devil, that prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Again, don't be afraid of this enemy, but don't be ignorant of him either. You've got to be watchful. You've got to be sober-minded. Why? Because we win this battle on our knees. We win this battle through prayer. Our enemy is not one that can be seen. He uses the the image of of, of a lion. And, and, And a lion would sneak up on its prey by getting in the deep grass and staying low. And crouching and getting up there ready to pounce on it. It's not, it's not seen. The, the one that we battle against is not seen. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we're battling against the very principalities of darkness. We have an enemy that we cannot see. How do you beat an enemy that you cannot see? The only way to do that is on our knees. The only way to do that is to enter into the spiritual battle. And, 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 and the, the truth is this, that some just prefer not to even pretend that there's a battle, not to even consider that they're in a battle. And they do so to their own demise. They wander off as if it's just another day. And they don't realize what lies just beyond. And Satan is there and he is serious. But he's not to be feared. Here he's drawing a distinction between God who is our advocate. The God who allows us to come under his mighty hand. Our advocate and our adversary, the devil. And the choice that we have to submit to God and to resist Satan or to just go out there unaware and leave ourselves vulnerable to attacks. So he says here, listen, 
I want you to cast your anxiety upon the Lord. I want you to draw near to God because he cares for you. He is the shepherd who cares for your every need. He is the shepherd who is always on alert, who is always ready to do battle on our part. I want you to draw near to him because the struggles are going to come. We as believers are not immune from struggles, from sickness, from tragedy. We're not not immune from, from any of the things that this world is immune from. The only difference is this, that we have a shepherd who cares for us. We have a shepherd who stands guard ready to do battle on our behalf. But we've got to come under his mighty hand, submit to him, humbly submit to him. And when we do that, we can cast all of our care on him. We can lay down and rest knowing that our shepherd never sleeps. And Jesus calls us to that kind of a life. He's saying here, come close to the shepherd. Stay close to the shepherd. Don't wander off because you have an adversary, the devil, who is prowling and seeking to devour. Again, don't be afraid, but do not be ignorant. And then he says this. Think, Think about this. He's saying to sheep, Stand up to the lion. Does that make any sense? For, for, for a sheep to stand up to a lion? Not on their own, it doesn't. But if you've got a shepherd that's got your back, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. It's when you and I wander off on our own that we become vulnerable. He's saying, stand up and resist the devil. Now, there's a lot of teaching that's out there, guys, that, that's not biblical. You know, we're going we're gonna to bind Satan in Jesus' name. The only place we see anybody binding Satan is in Revelation 20. And that's at the end of time when Jesus dispatches an angel to bind Satan and cast him into hell. That's it. There's nowhere else in Scripture that you even see that done. And that's Jesus dispatching an angel, a mighty angel, to bind Satan. There's a lot of weird teaching out there about this. But here's what he's saying. Enter into the battle. Be be spiritually aware. Be alert to to this battle that you're in. You can't see your enemy. So we need the Holy Spirit to alert us and to help us to know when we're entering into a spiritual battle. We need the Holy Spirit to to help us to do battle. Because sometimes in the battle, we don't even know how to pray. We can hear the, 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 the roar of the lion, and we don't know what to do. Here's what you do. You run to the shepherd. You don't resist him by standing up on your own. You don't resist him by saying, in Jesus' name, and and and... You, you, you run to the shepherd and you come under his mighty hand and there is your protection. There is the thing that gets you through that battle. So he calls us to do that. He says, I want you to resist the devil. How? By drawing near to God. Standing firm in your faith, what God's been doing inside of you, what God's been testing and, 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 and developing in you. Remember how we, we looked at the passage that said that, that God lets us go through trials to perfect our faith which is more precious than gold, here's the the result of that. Your faith has been tested again and again and again through trials. And we said, let the fire do its work so that you can be mature and, 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 and grown up in Christ. And the reason we do this, because we have an enemy that will seek to devour us, that we need to resist. How do we resist him? By standing firm in the faith that God's been developing through all the trials of life. That's how you stand firm. That's how you make it through this this ultimate spiritual battle that you and I are in. You resist him. 
Standing firm in your faith, knowing this, he says, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. Your struggle is not unique. Yours may look a little different than mine. Yours may be a a struggle with one thing that maybe I don't struggle with, but I have a struggle, and and our struggles basically are the same. They are are struggles that we go through that teach us to depend upon the Lord so he can mature us, and he he can grow us, and we can become the men and the women who can stand fast in the middle of the battle. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be scattered. We don't have to run when the enemy roars. We can resist him, but we do it on our knees under the mighty hand of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. Here's a warning, and it's a sober warning for us. Verse 12, he says, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Here's that warning to the sheep. Hey, if you think everything's great and you can just wander out there on your own and you can just take a field trip and do what you want to do today because you, you know, you're gonna, I know what God wants, but I'm going to go do what I want and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get out there and, and do my thing. Take heed if you think you can stand because the moment you think you got this on your own, you're praying. You're going to fall. Take heed if you think you stand lest he fall. But here's the other side of that. But there's no temptation that has overtaken you that's not common to man. That's the same thing Peter just said. What you're going through, other believers all around the world are going through the same kind of thing. The, the struggles that you're facing right now are struggles that are common to man. Here he's, Paul saying the same thing, that, that, that no temptation has taken you uh, and overtaken you that, that is not common to man. But God is faithful. That's why we've got to run to him. He is the faithful shepherd. He is, the, he is our hope for survival. He is the one that gets us through temptation. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God sets the limit on on how much you can be tempted. God sets the limit on on what you're going to face and the struggles you're going to go through and the fires that you're going to walk through. God's in control of all that. He is sovereign. So trust his faithfulness. That if you're in the fire, there's a reason you're in the fire. And there's something that God's trying to accomplish through that fire. And when you face the devil head on, you do so with the confidence not in yourself, but with the confidence in a God who is faithful, in a God who will not abandon you, a God who has never once flinched in the face of the devil. God's blood pressure doesn't even rise when Satan roars. He is faithful. And he will not let you be put in a place that you can't handle with him by your side but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it now it doesn't say he eliminates the temptation but he gives you the grace and the strength and all that you need to overcome that temptation that means that not one of us that are believers can say well the devil made me do it i didn't have a choice it was just more than i could do bull that's a lie It's a lie that Satan wants you to believe, by the way, because it'll allow you to make excuse after excuse after excuse for your sin. And instead of putting your sin to death, you coddle it. And you go deeper and deeper in your sin. There's not one temptation. Listen, men, 
There's not one temptation that you're going to face that God will not give you the strength to have the victory in. Not one. Ladies, the same thing for you. There's not one temptation that comes your way and you say, I just couldn't help myself. You weren't drawing near to God. You weren't coming under his mighty hand. You weren't leaning upon him and finding his strength and his power and his grace to get you through that. That's where you went wrong. And that's where our hearts get get wrong. It's when we try to do it in our own strength. We've got to turn back to God because he is faithful. We are not. He is strong. We are weak. He has overcome death that we might overcome death. But it's not found in our own strength and it's not found in, in, in anything that we have inside of us other than in Jesus Christ. So he says here, I want you to know that your sufferings are just like the rest of the world. And then verse 10, once again, a reminder that we're going to face some sufferings and some struggles as believers. Listen to what he says. And after you have suffered a little while, does he say, hey, I'm going to get you out of this. I'm going I'm to just get you around. You're never going to suffer. That prosperity gospel stuff that's out there today, guys, it's so misleading. So misleading that if you just say the right prayer, do the right thing, do the right dance, have the right formula, that you can be rich and prosperous and and never have a bad day the rest of your life. Tell that to Peter. Tell that to the believers of the New Testament. Tell that to those who since that day have given their life for the gospel. You're going to face some trials. We looked at that last week. And after you suffered for a little while, again, God limiting that suffering, you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. Isn't that what you need when you're going through a trial? You need the grace of God to come from the God of grace and the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. Listen, if there was any biblical writer that understood the need to be restored, it's Peter, right? Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll even die with you. Aren't you one of his? (laughs) Not me. You, You look like you're one of the guys that was with Jesus. Not me. Three different times Peter denies Jesus. And then sees him being taken from one place to another across the courtyard. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. You know what Peter needed at that moment? The same thing you and I need every time we fail. He needed to be restored. I need you to grab the tenderness of what Peter's trying to say right here, okay? He's saying to believers, I need you to come under the umbrella of God, to come under his mighty hand. And I need you to take a stand. I need you to to realize that you've got an enemy that, that wants to pick you off, but you don't have to give in to that. But Peter also realizes that as good as their intentions may be, there's going to be times when they fail. There's going to be times no matter, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And there's this battle going on inside of us. And, And no matter how much we want to get it right, there's going to be times that we don't. And when that happens, what do we need? We need to be restored. Here's what Peter's saying. You're going to go through some trials. And I'm praying that you get it right. But if you don't, I want you to know the God that called you to himself is not walking away. He's not leaving you alone. 
He'll limit that trial. You'll get you through that trial. You'll see that you're not as strong as you thought you were and that there's still work for God to do to grow you up in Christ. And, and, and when you begin to see that, man, I thought I had this, and I fail again. God comes to you as your shepherd and you as his child, and he will restore you. You've wandered off like that sheep that goes astray, and he leaves the 99, he comes and he finds you, and he restores you to the flock. That's what our Father does, because there's times that we don't get it right. There's times that our hearts still wander, even though we don't want them to. He is there not just to, to, to attaboy you, but he's there to restore you when you fall short. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that, that God's grace can, can cover us even in the trials that we fail in? His grace is sufficient. Peter says the God who's called you to his eternal glory will himself, God comes to you to restore you. For some of you this morning, that's what you need. It's been a while since you and God have connected it's been a while since you've, you, you've set your heart to, to, to live under his mighty hand and, and you found yourself wandering off and, and, and at first the attacks weren't too bad and then they got worse and worse and worse. And, and what you need right now is this restoration that Peter's talking about. And that may be exactly why God's got you here this morning because you needed to hear that your shepherd, your God who died on a cross for you will come to you today and restore you for his glory. That may, be, that may be the whole reason God brought you here this morning. is to hear that restoration is available for you. Peter knew about that restoration. He needed it. He wept bitterly over his sin. He was so heartbroken over the fact that, that the one who loved him, the one who was fixing to die for him, that he wouldn't even stand and admit he knew him. And Jesus comes to Peter and restores him. And Peter says, the same God that restored me when I failed will restore you when you fail. Aren't you glad about that? The second thing he says, he won't just come and restore you, but he will also confirm you. There's going to be days that you get it right. There's going to be days that you, you face the devil. There's going to be days that you go through the fire. There's going to be days that you face trials. And you know what? You're going to stay under the mighty hand of God. The trials are going to come, and you're going to cling closer to God than you ever have before. And God's going to do battle for you, and you're going to, be, you're going to, you're going to get through that trial. And in that moment, God's going to confirm your faith. Here's what trials do. They show us where we're at at that moment. Not where we were, not where we're going to be, but where we are at that moment. When I face a trial, it shows me what my faith is really like at that moment. And there's moments when we face trials, we get it right. There's that moment when, when, when God prompts your heart to share your faith with a coworker. And, and, and you say, you know what, Lord, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to open up a conversation, and I'm going to share my faith. And in those moments when we get it right, God's Holy Spirit comes and confirms. See there? You're growing. See there? You're making progress. See there? You, six weeks ago, you wouldn't have done that. But we've been through some trials, and you learned to lean on me, and you're learning to trust me, and today you got it right. Let me confirm you in that. Let me, let me let you know that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this and I, I'm aware of it and, and we're making progress. Now, we're not there yet, but we're making progress and he confirms us in our faith. He also comes to us when those battles linger. And, and, and don't you wish every battle was just a 12-hour cold? 
but many of them aren't. Many times the battle will not end until death. It's a disease. It's an illness. It's a condition. It's something that we're going through, and we're going to be in it for a while. And we grow tired. We start off strong, and, and, and we're holding to the faith, and then that grind begins. And it gets harder and harder and harder. And we just don't know if we can continue on. The fire is raging. But for whatever reason, God in his wisdom has chosen not to bring us out of that. We're we're suffering and and instead of it seeming like suffering for a little while, it seems like we're suffering for an extended time. And in that struggle, he comes to strengthen us. Sometimes he does it through his word. Something we read in God's word that speaks to us and gives us fresh hope and, and new vision. Sometimes it's through somebody showing up and doing a, an act of kindness that, that just says, hey, I'm not in this alone. I've got a church family that stands with me. I've got somebody that loves me. Sometimes it's through somebody showing up at a, at a hospital and just praying with you and, and being the presence of Christ in that room. God shows up in a million different ways, and he strengthens us in those prolonged periods of struggle and suffering. So he comes and he restores us. He comes and he confirms us. He comes and he strengthens us. And finally, he says, he also comes to establish you. To plant your feet solid on that rock, immovable, that that, that you can stand and you can say, you know what? By the grace of God, I stand. And he establishes you. We look around our community, guys, and I love this community. And, and we have these people that are just pillars of faith. And you look at them and you go, I, that person's faith is just... <clears throat> Do you know how that person became that person of faith? It wasn't on the good days. It was through all those struggles. All those struggles. And, and some days they got it right and some days they needed to be restored. But their faith grew. And you look at them now, and, 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 and for me especially, when I came to this community, there were those people in this community that everybody looked to. And they went, man, that is, that's a man of God. That is a woman of God. And I didn't know their story. I'm thinking, how'd they get to be that? And then I sat down across the table from them, and we visited, and we talked. And I heard of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And I'm going, I know now how that person became well-respected, looked upon as being a man or a woman of God. It wasn't on the good days. It was through the struggles. And he will establish you in, in the eyes of heaven, but also in the eyes of man as somebody who's learned how to lean upon God. Somebody that when the devil roars, they stand under the, the mighty hand of God and say, you know what, devil, you can roar until your teeth fall out. But you can't touch me. And you can't quench this life that's in me. You may take my physical life, but you know what? You've just given me access to eternal life. And they stand in the presence of God. And this God who stands with us and this God who restores us and confirms us and strengthens us and establishes us, he is the God, Peter says, to him be all dominion. There's that, hey, what's he talking about? That lion doesn't have dominion. God has dominion. 
That lion doesn't get the final say. God gets the final say. God is the one who has all dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's he saying? We've got two choices. We can go at it by ourselves. And we can think, I got this. And we can wander from God and be attacked by the enemy. Or we can stick close to the God through the trials and through the struggles and through the tribulations and through all that life may throw at us. And we can stand without anxiousness, without fear. We can stand in the presence of God with Satan yakking and threatening and trying to get us to panic. And we can stand. And this is what Peter is saying to the church that's about to go through persecution. Guys, listen. Here's what the Spirit of God's saying. Nero is about to unleash on you guys. Don't scatter. Don't panic. Don't, don't, you, don't you just get out there on your own and, and try to do this. You draw near. The more he roars, the, the, the closer you guys pack in around the shepherd. And you watch God take care of you because he is the one that has dominion forever and ever, not just in this life, but for all eternity. Here's the call of Peter as he wraps up this letter. Come near. Not not out of fear because you got this mighty enemy, but come near to God because he is your life. And if you're looking at anything else in this world, to bring you hope, happiness, any of those kinds of things, then you are looking up the wrong tree. The God that we serve, the God that we profess with our mouths, has never once felt intimidated by Satan. Not once. In fact, this is what he did to Satan. Get out of here. Go. You're done. That's it. Never once been intimidated by Satan. And that God invites us to come under his care. That God invites us to experience his peace in the midst of chaos. His love in in the face of hatred. To stand firm by his side, undaunted by Satan's roar. So let me ask you this question. Why would we go anywhere else? You've been invited To stand in the presence of God. You've been invited to have an intimate relationship with God where he cares for you and you can cast all of your anxiety on him. Why would you go anywhere else? Why would we forfeit that kind of peace? Chasing after something the world promises that it can't deliver. Why would we miss out on that kind of a love? Guys, listen. We don't need to be afraid of our enemy, but we we need to be aware of our enemy. And he is like a drug dealer that offers free samples to young kids. Oh, he loves me. He gave me something free. He gave you something that will kill you. Satan is like that drug dealer hoping to get you hooked so that you will be dependent upon him the rest of your life. That's not love. 
That's not love at all. It may feel like love at first. Just take this pill and and you can forget all your problems. But that's not love because that ends in death. God is a good shepherd who, who loves us to the point that he laid down his life for us. Why would we miss out on that? Why would we live lives that are shaken and scared when the foe that we face has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross? It makes absolutely no sense. When we would try to do this battle on our own, when we have the God of the universe with all dominion who will do battle for us if we will just cling to him. Yet so many times, we wander off chasing the sin that Satan puts before us. Temptation comes, and we go, I can't resist. Yes, you can. The wisest thing we can do as we go through life and we face these obstacles and these challenges that sometimes just seem insurmountable, the wisest thing we can do is to run to him. To trust him that he is wiser than we are, that he sees more and knows more than we know. To run to him, to cling to him, and to never, ever let go. He is our life. He is our lover. He is our leader. And only in him and in his care are we safe and are we satisfied. That's it. So as Peter closes his book, he gives the church a choice. He says, guys, listen, don't be anxious, but don't be ignorant. Run to your shepherd and stick by him. And no matter what comes, you'll have the grace to handle it in a way that brings God glory. And just a few short years later, that was going to be tested. And these believers who were given the opportunity to recant their faith or to die for it, stood and said, take my life. I can't deny my Lord. What about us today? Are we at a place today that we need to be restored? Where our faith has wavered and and we haven't been what we need to be men. We haven't led our families. We haven't done what God's called us to do in our homes. And maybe today we need to come to God and, and we need to say, Lord, I need to be restored. I have failed. Maybe today what you would hear is the Holy Spirit speaking confirmation to you. You're on the right track. Yeah, you, you've messed up and you've done some stuff, but, but you know what? God's got you back on track and, and your faith is growing. And you're where you need to be. Maybe you're weary and today you just need to be strengthened by the Lord. And all of those things lead to this, this ultimate of us being established, grounded, anchored, feet on solid rock of Jesus Christ. All of that starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, none of these things are possible if you haven't yet met Jesus as your Savior. These are promises for those who belong to Jesus. These are promises for those who have come under the mighty hand of God and said, God, you are my God, and I will follow you the rest of my days. If you've never invited Christ into your heart, today may be the day That by the grace of God, by the power of God, that you are born again. That you come to God and say, I am a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. 
I, I know what it means to be devoured by the enemy. I've spent my life experiencing that. And today I want to come under your watch care, God. I want to be one of your sheep in your pasture. And I want you to lead me every day from this day forward. The promises of God's word are the promises for those who belong to the Lord. If you haven't done that yet, right where you're at, as we pray in just a minute, you could talk to God as if he's right there with you because he is. And you can just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm ready to give it all to you. And I want to be yours forevermore. If you need some help understanding that, I want to talk to you and I want to help you. Because that's the most important decision you'll ever make in your whole life. I want us to pray. And then whatever you need from God, as we pray, would you just call out to God and be honest with him? Would you be humble enough before the Lord to come under his mighty hands right now? Let's pray.